We're continuing through our series, Not Your Ordinary Sunday. Last week, we talked a lot about what it means for God to move us out of a place of selfishness or a place where we are our own number one priority. And we looked at the example of mothers as, the, um, as, as, a, as a great example to follow in what living uh, with a love for others looks like. Caring for others without expecting something in return. Uh, looking at others with a face of patience and a face of care, um, rather than simply uh, trying to get past them and, and get further ahead in line. This week we're going to take a, a more focused look along those same lines. What does it mean not only that God removes selfishness from the core of our operating procedure, but actually puts others in focus? So it's not only that we're moving away from selfishness and self-centeredness, but we're actually putting others in the focus of our attention. And not others that we are born into a relationship with, but others who we will be adopted into a relationship with through the faith that ties us together. What does it mean when God calls us into a relationship of care and generosity toward people who we otherwise would count as out of bounds for that kind of relationship, out of bounds for that kind of generosity, out of bounds for experiencing a relationship with God that we enjoy? And I'd like to get there by telling a little bit of a story of my own family's history. My family came from Germany at the time. Today you would call it Poland. But in 1891, they made the journey across the ocean into central Wisconsin, a little town called Tigerton. But if you follow the family history further back than 1891, if you go further back than 1500, further back to around 1000, between 1000 and 700 uh, AD in this common era that we're living in, that was a time when Germany was mostly made up, Northern Europe was mostly made up of people who weren't worshiping God. They weren't worshiping the true God. They were worshiping uh, false gods, idols, spirits that they found uh, in the woods or the tales that they had told their families, the, the mythologies and, and the, 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 the polytheism that totally uh, encapsulated the world uh, of Northern Europe at the time. They were, uh, they were pagans. They were following gods that they thought they had found in nature, trying to appease these spirits in order to gain a better life for themselves. In other words, they were the farthest, they were the farthest thing from Christian you could get. And here's why that's important. At some point in that history between 700, 500, 700, 1000 AD, 1000 in this common era that we're living in, the Christian church was brought into that part of the world and it spread like wildfire. Now there's some, you know, maybe some ethical, political reasons for some of that communication of the church as the Roman Empire was expanding its borders. But none of us can deny the value of the truth brought to us over the course of time. And Germany became the kind of place where religion, where Christianity uh, was in the focus of the common people for hundreds and hundreds of years, even uh, thousands of years. Of course, we all know the, the, the story of the Reformation around 1500, when Martin Luther was uh, working against the, the bad theology of the Catholic Church at the time and understanding what it means that God saves us by grace rather than us participating in the work of our salvation. And so as we think about uh, religion in that part of the world, as we think about my own story, the fact that I come from a line of pastors, a line of uh, family always involved with the church. My dad's a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. Uh, three of his um, great uncles were pastors. There was four boys that were born to that great grandfather. All of them became pastors. And so it's easy for me to think, okay, Christianity is just what my family has always been a part of. 
It's easy for me to think that I'm different than people who haven't been raised in the church because it's just always been a part of my identity. It's always been a part of my story. And if I follow it back a couple hundred years even, it's clear that Christianity and even this Lutheran faith that I, that I adhere to has been a part of my family. So it's easy for me to think that it's always been that way, that I've always been an insider, if you will, in this Christian faith. I've always been a part of the family of God. And when I think that way, it's a temptation for me to look at others differently. People who exist outside of the church, people who exist outside of the Christian family, as if they are across some borderline that I don't want to cross. And, and there even is this temptation for me to think that I've got it better than them, that I'm a better person than them because I have received this great gift from my family and the family that came before them in this truth of God's gospel for us. But that's such a twist. The reason I keep using the word temptation is because it's not a good thing for me to think that way. It's a twist of reality. Because the beginning of this story, 500 years um, in this common era, 700 years in this common era, when paganism was the way of the world in Northern Europe, that's where my family came from. They weren't Christian. They didn't know who Jesus was. They weren't worshiping the true God. They were chasing after false gods and false idols, just like some of the, the stereotypical things we think about when we talk about false religions. That was what the family uh, line that I came from was embracing a thousand years ago. That's where I come from. I'm not, some, uh, I'm not an inheritor of the truth of the gospel because of my family always having been a part of it, but they received that gift of the truth at some point. And one of my, one of my ancestors woke up from this false religion that they were worshiping. They heard the truth of the gospel and they embraced that truth. God extended to them a repentance that brought about salvation. They heard the truth of the gospel. They were convicted in their false beliefs. They turned to God and they followed his truth. Now, because that happened, I have been brought up in this church that now I know and, w- I know and love so well. This Lutheran church that now I find myself as a pastor in, called According to God's Purpose. But it's important to remember where I came from. Lutheran churches across the country, um, for the most part, by and large, are made up of Germanic people, Northern European people. There are some, there are some uh, Hispanic churches, there are some black churches, there are some multicultural, multi-ethnic churches that exist. And each of us needs to remember that uh, none of us, there's no real Lutheran church that was born out of a synagogue. There's no Lutheran church that's mostly made up of Jewish people. And so for us to think that there was this inclusion in the covenant with God that came about and we were just a part of this family because of the work of Jesus, and it was just a part of who we were, is an assumption, a false assumption we shouldn't fall into. Why am I stressing this history lesson so much? Well, let's listen to this story about how the gospel transitioned, was moved from simply the truth of what the Jews needed to believe about Jesus into what the Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish people, the Jewish faith, Gentiles, which is a translation of the word in the New Testament, meaning Greek, which really was just slang that the Jews would use to describe anyone that wasn't a part of who they were. Who were these other people, these non-Jews who weren't a part of God's covenant? And how did they end up becoming a part of this Christian family as well? So let's listen to the story from Acts, and then we'll connect some of these dots together. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. 
You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet, and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and told him, Send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. So what's happening in this story? The, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem were worried about Peter who had been caught and seen, they'd heard the rumors that he had been associating with people outside of their boundaries, outside of the covenant, people that weren't like them. And they were judging and they were angry and they were upset that this had been going on and Peter had to tell them why that all took place. God had come to him in a vision and said, you are going to go outside of the boundaries that you formerly adhere to. You are going to go outside to these people who don't know me for who I am, who haven't received my law from being passed down through the prophets, who aren't a part of the Jewish family that I have called to bring about a a savior for the world through. You're going to go to them and you're going to bring them the word of God. You're going to bring them the truth. You're going to bring them the salvation that comes through Jesus. You're going to give them his message. And Peter, he tried to argue a little bit with God, but three times he insisted to Peter that he needed to go because God was making what was formerly outside of the covenant inside the covenant, what was formerly unclean and to be avoided, something to be included and brought near. Peter was going to the Gentiles. Now, this was hard for the Jewish people to believe, but when they heard his recount and that the Holy Spirit had evidently visibly arrived and been given to those outsiders, They praised God that so many more people would experience salvation. What does this have to do with the Corollis family and our neo-paganism, our paganism of 500 years, 1,000, 1,700 years ago? Well, let me tell you, I am like those Gentiles in the story. You probably are like those Gentiles in the story who would otherwise have been considered out of the boundaries out of the boundaries of this Christian faith, out of the boundaries of God's revelation to us about salvation. We don't deserve to be included, and yet, for whatever reason, God brought someone into my family's line somewhere along the the timeline of history and brought the truth of the gospel to them because they listened to the instruction God gave them to speak to these outsiders, to these Germanic pagans, to these people who didn't know God. And because of that, graceful action, I now have this relationship with God that I enjoy. 
As I said, though, a thousand years of Christianity is, is, is somewhat of a tempting thing when I look at people who I consider to be outside of my boundaries, beyond my borders of attention, people I wouldn't normally associate with. And yet occasionally, every once in a while, as I'm walking down the street or driving through town or in conversation with somebody who I consider to be outside of that boundary, there's this, there's this movement in my heart where God says, this is a relationship that needs to extend not only a friendship, but a word of the truth. Someone I want you to love like a brother. Someone I want you to love like a fellow Christian. And this is, this is hard because I want to be the one that makes the call on who I share God's word with, right? We each want to be the one that makes the call on who we're comfortable sharing our faith with, but God doesn't always leave that choice up to us. He doesn't allow us to stay in this comfortable, stationary place where everyone we know is, is a Christian and everyone that we're comfortable associating with have familiar things uh, with us, have, have commonalities between us. No, Christianity is a, is a religion. It is a truth. It is a movement that is never self-contained. It's constantly looking outward. It's looking at the border and who exists outside of it. Who is on the other side of that boundary fence and how can we share the good news of God's Word with them. Sometimes it's an inspiring story that opens our eyes up to the truth. I was just at a conference at Grand Canyon University where I was hearing from someone who spent years translating the Bible in Ghana. People who are outside not only of my national border, people are outside of my understanding of the world. In my own mind, in my own mentality, my own frame of mind, I don't know what it's like in Ghana. And yet here's a story of this man who spent decades translating the Bible and getting to know the people in that way that they might experience the joy of a relationship with God, a transformed life. It inspires me to look at the people that I am in contact with, the people outside of these mental or, or cultural borders that I've constructed, that I look at the world with and think, where is the translation God is calling me to do in their life? How am I being sent into a relationship with that person where they might experience the truth of God's gospel. God never calls us to stand still and to avoid sharing the news with people that may or may not like it. He is constantly calling us into this place of uncomfortability where we're not self-centered, we're not only loving the people that we want to love, but we're also extending His grace to others. Why do we do that? Because each of us has received that same relationship with God as a gift that we don't deserve. I wasn't born into a family that had a blood right to God's truth. It was received by grace. So how can we participate in God's work to share that good news with others? Look around you this week. See who God is leading you toward. Pray that you would be made uncomfortable and inspired to engage with others about the truth of God's love. Amen.